Greetings and welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast. I am your host, Pete Lorimer, former hit record producer and now host of the show Stay Here on Netflix and owner of LA's most creative boutique real estate firm, PLG Estates. On the podcast, you will always find business and real estate strategies, marketing techniques and tips for the entrepreneur. So hit the big bloody subscribe button, would you? Uh, Give it a like and also please share this podcast with someone else that might get value from it. Greetings. Welcome to the Creative Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast. I have an incredibly special guest with me today. Dan Lesniak is a legend on the East Coast, based in Arlington, living in Arlington, serving the DC area. Not only that, Arlington is something that's poignant because we have a man who was in the service for many years, which we're going to touch upon. And additionally, Dan is a just, you're just a beast dude you've got three books you've done 13 marathons you've got three kids like me i got three kids you own your own brokerage you are the number four keller williams team in the world you have a team of is it still 80 people approximately yeah give give or take it fluctuates but yeah it's it's trending up too so trending up to about 80 people and you closed a jaw-dropping $390 million worth of real estate in 2019 with your partner, Kerry, and your team, which I'm in LA. So the price point in LA is probably, I would think, three times that of Arlington and DC. So therefore, in LA, it would mean an agent would have to close a billion dollars in a year, which I don't know if any single agent has ever closed that. So my hat is off to you. I am proud to welcome to the show... Dan Lesniak, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for for that enthusiastic introduction. <laughs> You've got me extremely fired up. Good. A rousing, a rousing, a rousing welcome. Welcome to the show. So there are so many facets to you, Dan, that I know we just don't have time to cover them all. One of the facets is we're going to go back to your naval career and thank you very much for your service. And it was in of the service, which I would imagine is one of the most challenging, which is being a submarine officer, not just a submarine, a ship's mate, but you were an officer on a submarine. So thank you very much for your service there, which we'll come back to later in the podcast. One of the things that leapt off the page to me, and I'm very well aware of who you are and what you do, but one of the things that I do want to touch upon kind of at the beginning of the podcast is... There are a lot of agents who get into the business and it is incredibly brutal. It is hard. I call it two two years with Tyson to kind of learn your craft and just to keep getting knocked down. And if you can make it through those two years, chances are you might have a thriving career in real estate. Now, you, sir, are the exception to the rule because in your first year, you closed over 35 deals. How is that possible? What did you do? And how did you transition out of your former career? Yeah, well, I mean, the story of how I did it really, it begins with my my transition and my struggle before, right? So I think, 
if you're going to succeed at anything, there, there usually is some period of struggle, some period where you're getting knocked down, you have to push through. And for some people that happens while they're in real estate, for me, it just happened to, to happen immediately prior to getting into real estate. So I did my time in the Navy. I was on submarines, like you mentioned. And then I did a shore duty, a tour at the Pentagon. And I, I got out and got a, a job as a defense contractor, which is a very common thing in the DC area. And between my time at the Pentagon and my defense contracting job, I went and got my MBA at Georgetown. I did their evening program. So I would finish up work at six, go over to Georgetown a couple couple nights a week and I got my MBA. And the reason I did it, I thought, you know, if, if I do this, if I put these checks in the box and kind of follow this path, then I'll, I'll be able to graduate and get a big strategy consulting job. And, you know, my goal was to land one with the big three companies, which I think at the time were, were BCG, McKinsey, Bain, maybe. Mm-hmm. And they were typically paying first year MBAs, like 150 to 200, I, I believe, somewhere in that range. And, you know, every, everything worked my, my whole life with this kind of plan until all of a sudden it didn't. And I, 2010, was, which was when I graduated from Georgetown, was not a great year to be interviewing in the corporate world. These people, you know, companies were, were just not hiring at the volumes they were. The recession was going on. Unemployment was was high. And, uh, you know, because I, I know some of the listeners probably have only experienced the last few years or, or five years and, and they don't they don't know or remember those times. And right. so these companies weren't hiring, but I was not the type of person to to give up. And maybe I'm, I'm just wasn't smart. Like maybe I should have realized this earlier, but I, I interviewed over 50 times with different companies. And, and uh, there was a lot of preparation that goes into that. And none of none of them gave me an offer or maybe one did, but it wasn't an offer that I really like. So it was a lot of rejection. And eventually I started to figure out maybe I should ask why this is happening and what I can do better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what should I work on? So I started doing that. And a lot of these people started to give me a, a common piece of feedback. And it was, look, we think you have the technical ability, the skills for consulting, problem solving, but Part of it is also selling the solution, selling the company, and we don't think you have the sales skills. So our recommendation is go out, spend a year doing something completely different, develop that, and come back to us. And at the time, I happened to be buying a condo in the area. It was, I think, the fifth house I had bought because I started buying homes at an early age because the Navy gave me access to the VA loan and no money mm-hmm. down and all of that. So... I was comfortable with the process. I had done rentals a couple of times. I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll get my real estate license and I will help out family or friends or do it on the side. And so I thought it would be like a little side hustle that I did for a year while I kind of waited to reapply for my dream job. And what I quickly realized was my friends and family knew me as Dan, the Navy guy or Dan, the defense contractor. Why should they... All of a sudden, they'd be like, yeah, I'll trust you with the most important financial, biggest financial you know, decision of my life. So instead of going to, the, to, to that group of people, I thought, you know what? I live in this condo building. There's 180 units here. I'm going to just become the condo guy for this building. I right? really focus on that. And I ended up not doing business 
you know, right away. So funny with a ton of friends and family. That's so funny. So you, you, so what did you do? Did you go door knocking in your building? I did everything. So I I did direct mail. I did do events in the building. I, I didn't knock on doors, but I would put envelopes. I would do like little handwritten notes and put them right under the door. Like unmarked, nothing on the outside, right? Because you're gonna open that, and that's what I found with prospecting is like, if you if you mail someone a letter, no matter how creative you are with like the fake handwriting and all that kind of stuff that you can get now, like people can kind of like sniff it out, and they, and but if you put it in an unmarked envelope, they immediately think it's like a neighbor or a friend that just dropped something by. So I, I think the open rates are, are a lot higher. Wow. So I, that was one that's technique a, that's I would a use. tidbit that I'm going to steal from you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got in good with like the general manager, the front desk people. So they would, they would, I, you know, I would network with them and, and I just really focused on those 180 units. And, you know, I, I talk a lot. Now in my book and when I, when I speak about this concept of segmentation, targeting and positioning, I call it STP, which I learned in business school. But, and I, I sort of circumstance forced me to, to go through that process, which is segment the market, pick your target segment and then position yourself to that target segment. Well, because I had a, a full time job, 40, you know, five hours a week or so, I couldn't go out and just broadcast to all my friends and family that, you know, I'm, I'm a realtor and, and spend time like, you know, when you, when you do SOI business, it tends to be geographically dispersed for many people. Their friends and family are kind of all over. And so I just didn't have time for that. So focusing on one building, which later just became my overall strategy, this STP strategy, it, it really worked well. And of the 22 million I sold in my first year, like just over half of it, was in that building. I got I got fifty percent fifty percent market share in the one building, and then most of the additional business, except for like one or two deals, maybe was was very closely related to that building. So people moving out of it, or they met me at an open house there, or, or something like that. And so I, I ended up doing just a ton of business in the surrounding condos and townhomes and, and areas. So you went after a, a, a similar demographic once you, you, you'd kind of like tested the model as it were with the building that you lived in, you then applied that similar strategy to other communities that were close by, I imagine. Yeah. It's, it spread intentionally. So I started to do it intentionally, but, but a lot of it was just like a byproduct. Like if you have an open house in a condo building, you're going to get, people from nearby condo buildings, rental buildings. So it, it was a mix of intentionally spreading that model and, and then just a, a byproduct of, of it working and working pretty well. So if I skip forward then, it, would it be fair to say that the model that you began with back in 2012, right? Skip forward eight years, has that model, which I'm sure has evolved, you went from 22 million to 390 million with you and your partner, Carrie, uh, Carrie Shull. What's the evolution to go from 22 to 390? Well, the, the biggest thing is you, you need people. So if, if it's, you know, 22 million as a solo agent was tough. It was probably close to my own personal limits as 36 deals, 37 deals without like a team is, is, 
pretty close to max. And, and I found that number to be true for, for most people. Now that there are some people that are just masochist and, and, uh, but you know, <laughs> there's some people that, that do more, but, but at some point, even, even those people are limited by, by leverage. Right. So, the strategy is to is to just do more of that lead gen, start to hire people that can handle the transaction coordination at first, and then handle handle the phones, and then and then add agents and and build out, and just always focus on like the most important levers of of the business. That kind of gets back to that STP strategy, like it. You know, yes, it's a marketing strategy, like segmenting the market, targeting and positioning, but it also becomes an operation and business strategy. Like, can you narrow your focus on the thing that's going to have the biggest impact on your business? I think a lot of agents struggle with that. They become like squirrels, you know, chasing right. That so you scaled out. it essentially. You, you created a model and you scaled, which yeah. is, is phenomenal and, and, and incredibly hard to do. So what is interesting is that you spent many years in the Navy, but really none of your business, or very little, I imagine, came from your tribe. I call it running to your tribe. When I was a new agent, I kind of did the opposite of you, and I went after only people I knew. I went after all the musicians and rock and rollers and movie people and TV people because I could relate to them, and I just couldn't face the fact of trying to find business from strangers. But you were the opposite. How much of your business actually came from the military? Not much. Not. I mean, and, and still to this day, not as much as as I would like. But you know, my our area is uh, it's tough for military buyers in our area now. The VA limit going away, I think, is gonna is gonna help. But uh, a lot of a lot of military people at the Pentagon are commuting like two hours in and and Oy. stuff like that and like that's that's just you know not wow our market two hours good yeah. god so wow it hasn't been as much of our business as as I would like it but I I think with some new programs we're rolling out and the VA loan limit going away that 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 will be a space that becomes more important to us in, in the years to come. Amazing. I want to talk about your uh, hyperlocal, hyperfast. Can you share with the agents out there what exactly these strategies are? I'm very familiar with them, but I'd like you to kind of talk about it to the audience so that they can discover them as well. Yeah. So the big thing, I th it's, it's kind of two things. Like the hyperlocal part really is, and it doesn't have to be geographic, even though that's the name, but it's it's really narrowing your focus, like picking an, an area that, that you can dominate. And it, it can be friends and family and SOI. There's nothing wrong with that. That works for a lot of people. But, you know, it could also be a geographic area. Mm -hmm. It could be a certain profession or industry or company. Like, like you got to pick an area that you can dominate. And, and you got to think of two things when you're picking this area, this segment, you know, with this main focus of your business you got it's got to be big enough to be worth going after right if you got a hundred percent market share of five homes you know that might not be enough for most people <laughs> for average price points you know unless it's like super super high-end market but most people won't struggle with that most agents don't struggle with like picking a, a market that's 
that's you know not big enough. They they have the opposite problem. They try to be like everything to everybody. So agree. Like they would yeah, try to be I, the agent for everyone in L.A. or everyone in D.C. And like that just won't work. Yeah. It's it's too big. I call that the vanillaization of the real estate industry because everybody's trying to appeal to everyone all the time. And one of the things about PLG, and it sounds like it's the same with your firm, is I'm a I'm a massive fan of niching down, knowing your market, drilling down on it, and almost like pathologically going after that crowd because I know that I can't serve everyone. But I know the when I'm dealing, I call them the crazies of LA. When I'm dealing with the crazies of LA, the creatives, I get them, I vibe with them, I earn their trust way quicker than I would if I was trying to convert a dentist, for example, unless that dentist was referred to me. But I meet a musician because I spent 20 years in the music business. I can relate to them in seconds and they get comfortable with me. So that's my hyper-local demographic, which for me in, in LA was very successful, which is why I ended up being the number one Keller Williams agent in LA. So what about hyper-fast? Are there any nuances with hyper-fast agent? To me, that's, that's the bridge between education and, and execution, right? So many people just come up with a strategy or they research a strategy, but then it, it just stops there or they just continue to research and right. they just never take action. They get that, you know, paralysis of analysis. So you got to realize that part of your education, part of your figuring it out is going to be just in executing and, and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't and taking that feedback and, and adjusting your strategies and, and tweaking the model and, you know, the more you execute, the more at bats you'll get. And you're not going to know the perfect solution ahead of time. You, the important thing is just get the organization. And if the organization is just you, that's fine, but get it moving in the right direction and then analyze and refine the course along the way. And one of the examples I like to talk about to illustrate this is from my submarine days. So when you're mm -hmm. taking the boat to periscope depth, it's, it's a, fairly dangerous time. You know, you're underwater, you're using sonar to figure out what's out there and you, you stick the scope up and you know, you don't want to hit anything. Right. So the first thing you do is kind of like do a sweep 360 degree sweep, make sure that the, the visual picture matches what you thought the sonar is. And if something's wrong, you got to order a turn to the helmsman and, and it's, you know, either left or right, but, if, if you sit there and try to figure out the perfect course, right, you're, you're wasting time that it takes to get the, the ship moving in the right direction. So the important thing is to like recognize the general direction you need to go, give the order, get moving there, and then refine it along the way. And I think more people need to take that approach with, with real estate and, and just business and, or anything in general. Really. I, I think you're right. You know, I, there was a great quote that I, th I think I could be wrong, but I think it was Francis Ford Coppola when he was learning how to shoot movies and him and his cinematographer were learning the craft. And he said, you spend 50% of your time learning how to do it. And then 50% of your time doing it. He said, so many people get caught up in research and endless looking at how to do videos or, or, techniques and this that and the other that that they just never kind of thrive in their marketplace i remember another example would be you know being a musician i was a musician and and i used to practice in my bedroom when i was a kid like everyone else but nothing makes you a better musician than you have a gig it's nine o'clock you're standing on stage and there's an audience out there that is when you learn your craft and and i'm with you i think 
so many people kind of talk about real estate, but don't actually execute it. Now, obviously, you are a very disciplined man, Dan. Now, how do you keep yourself on the rails? How do you keep yourself from being distracted and and not fulfilling what you need to fulfill in a day? What, for example, is your daily routine? I'm up early, usually sometime between four and five. And I I spend about an hour usually planning my day. Uh, I do some journaling, some reading, some meditating as well. And then I try to get the most important things done fairly early, like usually before 6 a.m. I've gotten like the most important email or marketing pieces out or follow-up that needs to be done. And then I work out. Uh, I like to stimulate you know, my mind through, through exercise. So I, I do Ironmans and marathons. So I'm, I'm always <laughs> training for, for that kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll usually work out for a good hour, hour and a half. And then, then I spend time with the kids because by this time they're usually awake. Sometimes not though. <laughs> our kids, uh, our kids are all young and they, they sleep in a lot, which is good. So, um, I'll, uh, spend time with them and then, then I'm, you know, usually off to the office and, Usually at the office for, you know, from nine to, to five. And then I'm home. I try to spend three hours at least focused on the kids and family. So dinner, playing bedtime. And then after that, I usually will get in an hour or so of, of work again or just get back to things I didn't and then go to sleep and do it all. Over again. All again. Yeah. It's very interesting. The more successful people that I meet, there seems to be a common theme. Um, I too am someone that strives. I don't always succeed, but I strive to get up between four and five. And I have a thing where I like to, as soon as I wake up, I have a couple of shots of espresso and then I, I start working out immediately. And I like to, there's, there have been occasions, my gym opens at 5 a.m. There have been occasions that I've managed to work out, finish my workout before the gym has even opened, which for some reason makes me feel rather glorious. And then I too, I love that time between when the office opens and prior to it, which is a good chunk of time. I mean, it's two or three hours. And when it's two or three hours of undisturbed time without having to kind of handle the fly balls that come in of, uh, during the day, when you have a focused three hours in the morning when your mind is fresh, it's almost like having a focused five hours at the end of the day. Yeah, so, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's there's so many studies that, that show that. It's, yeah, which is counterintuitive for an old studio rat like me because I used to get to the studio at lunchtime and finish at like four in the morning. Now I'm getting up at four in the morning. So... Professional development, obviously you are a very fine-tuned machine with your Ironmans, with, you know, the way that you live a very disciplined life. Can you recommend, are there any masterminds, books, people that you admire? Who are your heroes that you've learned from? And it doesn't necessarily need to be real estate related. Who are the people in your life that inspire you? It's been quite a few, but we, we, my wife and I spent time uh, in, in a lot of Tony Robbins programs. So he's, he's been a major influencer. We've spent time at training and events with Grant Cardone. Um, and I, and I, I really admire what he's done in the, the real estate investing world and marketing oh. side. Yeah. And 
who else? Grant, yeah, Gary V. I've 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 went to one of his events. So there's 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 been a ton of people that uh, you know we've we've benefited from being around. I'm in a mastermind called Go Abundance. That's that's a really great group. Uh, just last month, I was out with them in Aspen doing skiing. I like the name mas- that. masterminding. That's something that I definitely subscribe to. Me and, my, and I work with my wife. Do you work with your wife? Yes. Yes. Oh wow! Another common thing <laughs> is we definitely approach business from an abundant way. You know, where there is there is always enough for everyone. Sharing ideas, even sharing clients, sharing pocket listings, sharing everything we've got seems to have. And 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 for me, I like to to live my life professionally with a spiritual compass that points due north. Because otherwise, what's the point, right? Yeah. And and I found that that having a, an attitude of abundance and gratitude has led it just seems to my life seems to be continue to become full of wonderful things and it sounds like you do the same yeah well that that group go abundance is amazing so they they focus on not not just finance and business but fitness and relationships and giving back and and doing adventures so that's that's why like their winter masterminds always somewhere where there's a mountain and there's skiing and snowmobiling and all, all sorts of things you can do. And then they do the masterminding and the educational content, you know, in the evening. So that's, that's, it's an amazing group. How many events do you go to a year to learn? Uh, probably, I probably average about one a quarter. That's good. Although they, they seem to all bunch up in, in Q1 usually. Like I, I'll do like two or three in Q1 and then like, you know, one or two throughout the rest of the year, but there, there always seems to be more that, for me anyway, just the first quarter of the year. So your three books, um, could you give everyone out there the, the, the titles of them and what they kind of address just in short form? Sure. So the, the first book I wrote was the hyper local, hyper fast real estate agent. And that, that walks through how I, how I did the 22 million plus in year one. I go over the strategy I used. I tell a lot of the stories of like, how I got the, the lead, the, the, the deal, how I got them from, you know, deciding to work with me to closing and how I he- held the deals together. Cause you know, a lot of, I didn't lose any deals that year. You know, every, everything that went under contract closed and, and I still have a pretty, pretty high success rate with that, with not letting deals fall apart. So I, I go through like all of that in, in that book. And then a year later, I came out with a companion guide for it. So it's the, the hyper-local, hyper-fast companion guide. That is a workbook style that, that has like questions and, and spaces to fill in. And it's like a, a journal and creating a plan to do what I did or, or a version of it. And then in the last year, I, I went a different route. I, I wrote a book that was geared towards home buyers. So the first, first couple books were for agents. Last year I did one called The Home Buyer Secrets and it basically walks through the process of what Carrie and I or our team would, would teach you as a buyer from step one to, you know, step 10 of, of starting to search for home, buying it, negotiation techniques and strategies. So. And where, we, where can we find those books on Amazon? They are on Amazon. Yep. The, the first book is on Audible. Homebuyer Secrets is okay. coming out on Audible. That's in the review process right now. So Amazon is, is the best way. If you, if you go to my website though, hyperfastagent.com, there's, there's more information there as well. 
Cool. Have you heard of Fast Agent, by the way? Fast Agent? Is it? Yeah, there's a dude by the name of Fast Agent. I'm blanking on his name and he's yeah. my boy. And he's in the San Francisco kind of Oakland area. Kenny Fast, that's his name. You should dial him up. You and him have <laughs> decidedly different styles. Okay, I have, we always like to do a rapid fire, Dan. So I'm going to hit you with some, some questions in our rapid fire on the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast. So here we go. And these are questions from my team. All right. Um, favorite meal you have ever had? Uh, in in at Little Washington, it's about two. Which one? It's it's called the Inn at Little Washington. It's it's about an hour and a half outside of DC. It's 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 great. And what did you have? Uh, it it's like a big tasting menu. So you you get like a caviar thing. A, they've got this truffle popcorn that's really good that you kind of start with too. Nice. Uh, it's just a it's it's a mix of a ton of stuff they've got this amazing cheese cart so it's it's awesome it's like the east coast version of the french laundry probably nice 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 if you could go back 15 years what piece of advice would you give to a, a younger dan Ooh, I, I would have gotten into real estate sooner <laughs> <laughs> that one's easy right you know, i when i first started <laughs> and when i was in year two i'm like oh wow i left this way too late i should have started this years ago and then what is your number one productivity tip that's a good one uh i think in like start the mornings right so don't don't wake up and immediately open your smartphone and all that i, th- I think the you know, wake up and, and set your priorities for the day and, and start attacking the most important things. Good. I like that. My most important thing is I do love my, if I don't work out in the morning, the rest of the day is off. Yeah, that that is like so true for me too. It like really screws up the day if, if for some reason I can't get a, a morning workout in. Yeah. I just feel like I, I haven't showered or something. It's kind of gross. And then what is the... I'm going to, they said one program. I'm going to ask you to give us your top three apps or programs that you just cannot live without. Ooh, I, I like InShot. So that's, that's a video and mm-hmm. a photo editor. So that is a, a great app for, you know, make, make, yeah, we use that too. Yeah. Great for video. Great for manipulating photographs. What CRM do you use? We use Infusionsoft, so they Infusionsoft has an app as well that that I that I use a lot on on my phone. Google Drive, I I mean I can't live without that on my phone as well. Uh, and then another one that I've started to use a lot more lately, and I, I'm it's it's kind of addicting from a productivity and a uh, and you know creating and producing content or consuming content, but, uh, is TikTok. So that, that's actually the number one, number one downloaded app right now. Oh my God. Don't get me started. So it's, it's, it's coming. Like I whether, know. whether you like it or not, like, or think it's good or bad, like it's, it's going to be a thing. And, you know, maybe it's a year or two from now, like someone will be listening to this podcast and be like, Oh, that, that guy told me in 2020. And now it's like, it's taken over Instagram. All the children in the U.S. are on it, right? And they're all going to be, you know, some of them are going to be buying houses within the next 10 years. So everybody under 20 is on that app all day, every day. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's intense. 
It is intense. Dan, well, listen, we have come to the end of the podcast. I want to thank you very, very, very much for your time. If people want to find you, you can go to hyperfastagent.com. You can go on Amazon and find Dan's book. We have merely scratched the surface on all of the achievements that you have done. And I want to thank you very, very much for being on the show, Dan. Big round of applause. Thank you. For Dan Lesniak. Thank you for that enthusiastic uh, close. That was that was awesome. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Dan. Thank you. That's about it for the podcast this week. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll be back again next week with another topic and another great podcast. So don't forget to hit that button and subscribe. Until next time, take care, and I will see you later.